Now, if you have a Bible in English, you'll know that it doesn't start with Genesis. So please have a look and see what it does start with. Every English Bible starts with either a letter to the reader or a preface. Well, you don't need to read that, but it's basically the Bible was written in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and the people who translated into English want to explain a few things about the translation. Then, after the preface, comes a table of contents. Now, if you've got the Bible, look at the table of contents, because there's the Old Testament books and there's the New Testament books. And if you start at the end of the Old Testament, Malachi, and work backwards, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Micah, you'll see where the page number is. That's why I'm asking you to do this. Please open the book of Micah. <laughs> Otherwise, people just sit there flustered and can't, can't find it. I was preaching once and couldn't find the book of Ruth. <laughs> anyway, Micah, we're going to chapter 5, verse 2. It was a great time when Micah was alive. He, he began preaching in 734 BC, and he preached for 33 years. Um, we've only got six pages of his preaching. And just 22 miles up the road in Jerusalem, Isaiah was preaching. He was preaching before Micah started, and he was preaching when Micah finished. And 50, year, 50 miles up the road in the northern kingdom of Judah, Hosea was preaching. Uh, he was preaching before Micah began to preach, and then he stopped preaching because God took away that northern kingdom of Israel and took it into captivity. But there were three great preachers in that little land of Palestine all at the same time and all saying similar things. They were saying that the great reality of the universe is God. You men and women are sinning. Judgment is coming. But there is pardon, you know, for the worst sin because God is sending a savior. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth, or in Hebrew, whose goings out, have been from of old, from everlasting, or from he in Hebrew, from days of eternity. It's an extraordinary verse there, 730-something years before Christ extraordinary verse and we're going to look at it we're going to find out who it's about so the first point will be who and then we'll work from there so let's start Micah chapter 5 verse 2 I'm going to read it once more because not everyone has a bible but you Bethlehem Ephrathah though you are little among the thousands of Judah yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose goings out have been from of old, from days of eternity. Who? 
Well, these wise men from the east turned up in Jerusalem. They didn't follow a star. They had seen a star. And they'd concluded from the, what they'd seen and that a king had been born for the Jews. If they'd been following a star, why on earth did God take them to Jerusalem, which was the wrong place? They'd seen a star. And on the basis of the star, we don't know how they'd worked this out, a king had been born for the Jews. So they turn up sometime later in Jerusalem and ask the obvious question, where is he? Where is the king of the Jews? Where is this person who's been born king of the Jews? Now, Herod the Great, I don't know why we call him that, was very upset by this. And he was a ruthless man, you know. He killed some of his own sons. He, he was the king of the Jews. He was half a Jew himself, but he was the king of the Jews. He wasn't going to have any rival. So he calls together all the people who know the answers, and he asks them the question. It's a very interesting question. Did you notice it? He didn't say, where is the king of the Jews to be born? What did he say? Oh, you're not allowed to answer, are you? Sorry, yes. <laughs> he asked them where the Christ was to be born. He knew that this verse was about the Messiah, the Christ, the coming Savior. And when the chief priests and the scribes and the experts got together, they said, it's, it's in Bethlehem that the Christ is going to be born. That's what's written in the prophet Micah. And then they recite this verse, but in the Greek translation, so which is why it's slightly different in our English versions. Everybody who studied the Old Testament knew that Micah chapter 5 verse 2 was about the Christ. They all knew that. But the problem was, of course, that they weren't expecting the right sort of Christ. Herod was king of the Jews, but he wasn't really any king of anybody, to be honest, because the whole nation was under the domination of the Romans. He was only king with a sort of permission, a sort of delegated authority. The Romans were there. The Jews wanted rid of the Romans, and they'd got it into their head that when the Messiah came, he would be this great deliverer who would deliver them from the Romans and from all foreign powers and restore them again to their former glory. They, were, they knew the verse was about the Christ, but they had the wrong sort of Christ in mind. But just up the road, 22 miles up the road, Isaiah... <laughs> was telling the people what sort of Christ would be coming. Behold, he said, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
22 miles up the road, Isaiah was preaching, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, not in the sense that the Son is the Father, but in the sense that he's, he's the originator of everything, the, the, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, there shall be no end. 22 miles up the road, Isaiah was saying, he, the virgin born, God with us, the mighty God, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has made him grieve. But when you make his, off, his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. You're looking for the wrong sort of Messiah, said Isaiah. It's God, man, God sent by God to die in the place of sinners, but not stay dead. And for the pleasure of the Lord to prolong his, to, to prosper in his hand. I don't know how things work in a, in a world of pure spirit. I can only think in pictures when I think about God and the angels and the, the spiritual world. But... I'm sure that as the angels heard these different prophets preach and then they saw these things were written down under the inspiration of God in scripture, the, the angels were getting excited. How is it going to happen? How is God, sent by God, going to become man and die and redeem and yet live. How will it all start? I think Gabriel probably knew a little bit more than the others. 
because he was sent to Nazareth and told a young engaged girl there that she was going to bear a son and that holy one who shall be born of you shall be called the son of God. And then when the girl said, how can this be? Because I don't have any intimacy with any man. Gabriel had said, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. And therefore, that one who shall be born of you, well, you know the rest of the story. A Gabriel, I think perhaps a little bit... Maybe all of them knew, but Gabriel certainly knew before the event what was going to happen. But I tried to imagine sometimes what was going on in heaven. The angels all knew that God is one and God is three. They knew that God the Son was on the same throne as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They'd only ever seen God the Son on the throne. And by the way, he never left it. They'd only ever seen God the Son with a, a crown. But God the Father took it off him and put it out of sight. And they'd only ever seen the Son of God with jewels. Majesty, splendor riches but God the Father took them all off him and put them out of sight and they'd only ever seen God the Son in majestic robes of royalty and God the Father took them all off him and put them out of sight and then although he was still on his throne God the Son went through the gates of heaven to earth. I'm sure the angels were thrilled with this, but couldn't work it out. It seems to me, if I'm being too imaginative, just interrupt me, will you? <laughs> well, don't actually, but it seems to me that a great crowd of angels went along to see what was going to happen. <laughs> And as they went along, the Son of God got smaller and smaller and smaller until he was the size of a sperm. And he was implanted in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And remaining fully God on his throne... He became what he had never been before, which was a Hebrew boy. Who? Secondly, where? But you... 
Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, house of bread. That was a fitting place for the Savior to come to, wasn't it? Every Israelite knew that they could never have got from Egypt to the promised land without bread coming from heaven six days a week. They had daily bread which was heaven sent. And when the Savior came, he said to the Jews who were looking for a sign, that wasn't the real bread from heaven. I am the bread of life. It was an appropriate place, wasn't it, to be born in the house of bread? It's Bethlehem Ephrathah. What, what does that mean? Well, if you've been on holiday in Wales, you won't have any trouble with that one, will you? Let's say you're going to take your holidays in Swansea. So along you go, along the road, and along the M4 there, and you see... Swansea Abertawe, don't you? Yes, you do. Because there are different languages working side by side, talking about the same place. Right, if there were road signs in the first century in Palestine, you would have seen Bethlehem Ephratha, house of bread, and then in a different um, dialect, abundance. That was a good place to be for the for the Messiah to come to, wasn't it? Isn't he the one who said, some people come into the world, it seems, just to ruin it and destroy it, but I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly? It seemed a very appropriate place for the Messiah to be born, didn't it? And there's a monument in Bethlehem, still there. It's where Rachel's buried. She died in childbirth. As she was dying, she says, call the boy. Because the midwife said, it's a boy, you've got a boy. She says, call the boy Benoni, son of my sorrow. She died. But dad, Jacob, Israel called him Benjamin, son of my right hand. That was a good place, wasn't it, for the, the Messiah to come? Simeon, who we heard about, said to Mary, a sword shall pierce through your own soul also. So he was the son of my sorrow. God looked down on his perfect obedience and called him son of my right hand. Benjamin was just the right place, wasn't it? It's where Ruth came with Naomi. It's where Ruth, yeah, got married and became the, the ancestress of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was the Royal David city. David was from Bethlehem. Descended, of course, from Ruth and Boaz. 
then from David, great David's greatest son, the Savior himself. He came to Bethlehem, but it was a little place. You, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. Aren't God's ways strange? Don't you find them strange? The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the promised Messiah, the God boy, is born King of the Jews in what we would call a tiny town or a large village. God's interested in people and places that the world will never be interested in. But Gabriel had been sent to Nazareth. So how come the conceived baby in Nazareth is born in Bethlehem? Because an idea comes into an emperor's high head that all the world should be registered and local officials decide to do it this way. And it doesn't make any sense to us British people, but it makes a lot of sense to many folk who live in continental Europe, for example. Uh, we lived, as you know, in Switzerland for nine years. In Switzerland, everybody, everybody, everybody who's Swiss has a place of origin. In other words, the village from which their ancestors came. And it's there on all your official documents. Even though you've never been there, never set sight on the place, it's your place of origin. So it's on all your official documents. Now, there was something similar going on in the first century. So, what's your place of origin, Joseph and Mary? Well, we're from the tribe of Judah. Yes, but what's your place of origin? Well, it's, it's Bethlehem. Right, okay. Well, in this particular census, you've got to go to your place of origin to be registered. It's an amazing providence, isn't it? From heaven... Conceived in Nazareth, at just that moment, the local officials are putting everything together. You've got to go there. I know, I know that she's pregnant and the baby will be here soon, but you've got to go anywhere. And just after she arrives, he's born. Just like scripture had always said. Who, where, why? Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, king of the Jews. He was born king of the Jews. He was king of of the Jews in the manger. He didn't look like a king, but God's ways, as we've already noted, are just not like ours. He wasn't treated like a king. From the moment Herod knew that 
that Christ had come, he was working out a way to kill him. And when he found that the wise men hadn't played according to the, the rules, uh, he, he just massacred all the children of an appropriate age in the whole district where the Messiah might have been born. And the king of the Jews, the great God-man, is a refugee in Egypt, just like, by the way, Hosea up the road, 50, uh, 50 miles, uh, would say would happen. And then he, he comes to Nazareth, of all places. Just look like a king. You don't find a king in Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth was a Jewish proverb. And in Nazareth, his stepdad is a carpenter. Doesn't look like a king. But when he preaches his first sermon in Nazareth, the congregation tries to kill him. And then there's growing opposition, mostly from the Jewish authorities. And at last, on a whole series of trumped-up charges, he's arrested, he's tried, and he's crucified. But even when he's risen from the dead, there's trumped-up tales which try to refute it. There is nobody who looks less like a king and certainly less like the king of the Jews. So how on earth is this prophecy fulfilled? The one to be ruler in Israel and Jews, orthodox, liberal and reformed Jews to this day will still never call their boy Jesus. Well, says the Bible, there's Israel, and there's Israel. The scripture says they are not all members of Israel who are descended from Israel. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. The Bible says he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly. Romans 2, 28 to 29. The Bible says of Christians, we are the circumcision, in other words, we are the Jews, who worship in the spirit of God, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.3. 3. I've told you this before, possibly, and if, it, if I have, then you just have to forgive the poor memory of an aging man. But when... In the Evangelical Movement of Wales Annual Conference, which is held in Aberystwyth, for years and years, the Orthodox Jews held their conference in the same week. And one year in Aberystwyth, I met a crowd of Jewish boys in the street and got talking to them. Have I told you this before? Well, good. Anyway, some of you can't remember it. That's fine. 
And we got talking. I said, you're Jewish boys. They said, yes, are you a Jew? I said, well, not in the sense you mean it. I said, I'm going to find out whether you really are Jewish boys. I'm going to ask you a few questions. Let's find out the Ten Commandments. What's the Fourth Commandment? What's the Sixth one? What's the Seventh one? What's the ninth? And they got it all right. And then I asked them a few simple questions like, who was the father of who and who was the son for who and who, who lived there and who lived there? And they got them all right. I said, you're doing well, lads, but now I've got a question which is a little bit harder. Was Abraham a Jew? They said, yes. I said, now then, was he born a Jew? They said, no. I said, did he die a Jew? They said, yes. So he wasn't born a Jew, but he died a Jew. So at what point did he become a Jew? At that point, the three older boys chased all the younger boys away. And then the oldest boy chased the two others away. And he said, you're a very nice man, he said, but we're not allowed to talk to you anymore. Why not? Because if they had answered that question, they would have understood that Abraham became a Jew at the moment when he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And circumcision became the symbol of justification by faith in Christ. And the true child of Abraham is not the one with the blood in their arteries. The true child of Abraham is the person who has Abraham's faith in Christ in their souls. For out of you shall come forth the one to be ruler in Israel. God's Israel, says the Apostle Paul, is like an olive tree. And like every tree, the tree is composed of individual branches. And some of the branches are natural branches, and some of the branches have been grafted in, and some of the natural branches have been pulled off. If you're a natural branch, descended from Abraham, but you don't have faith in Christ, says Paul, you are pulled off. But if you're a Gentile and you have faith in Christ, you are grafted in. But there's only one olive tree. There's only one Israel. And it's composed of individual believers in Christ. And they have a ruler. He rules in their hearts. He rules them through his word. He rules his church and has appointed Christ to be the head of it. They have a ruler. 
Their identity is that they are all justified by faith in Christ. Their privileges are that they are all adopted children of God and are indwelt by the Spirit and have peace of conscience and joy in the Holy Ghost and increase in grace and perseverance to the end and union with Christ in their death and acquittal at the judgment seat and the full enjoying of God to all eternity. They are Israel. And to their king, every knee shall eventually bow and every tongue shall eventually confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's who and that's where and that's why. Finally, how? Oh, but no, that's wrong. When? <laughs> when? When? It's not specified in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Or is it? You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings out have been from of old, from days of eternity. It tells us nothing about when he would be born in Bethlehem, but it tells us a lot about different whens. From God, from all eternity, has been going out God. The eternal Son of God, who has life in himself, owes everything he is to God the Father. We're back to these antinomies, these things which are contradictions, but both, which of, both of which are true. So streaming from God, from all eternity, even at this moment, is the Son of God. He's begotten today, he was begotten yesterday, and he's still being begotten tomorrow. And God within God made a covenant. And God the Father covenanted with God the Son, the one who's constantly going out from him, that God the Father would give to God the Son the people for whom the Son would live and die and rise again and would have faith in him. He's been going out from all eternity. He's been going out in the eternal covenant. He came out in creation. Without him was not anything made that was made. He walked in Eden. No one has seen God at any time. But they have. No one has ever seen the essence of God, but plenty of people have seen God without seeing the essence of God. They've seen one who is actually God and who is the express image of his person. Abraham saw him. He had a problem. And God, with two angels, God the Son, visited him. 
And the problem was sorted. Do you remember it? Genesis 18. Jacob, about to be murdered by his brother, had a problem. But someone wrestled with him. And the person who wrestled with him said, you've wrestled with God. And Jacob said the next morning, I've seen God. And he named the place Face of God. Who was it? Who was this man with whom he wrestled who was God? And Joshua saw God because the commander of the Lord's armies came to Joshua because Joshua had a problem. It was Jericho. But the commander of the Lord's armies came and took charge of the army and gave the instructions which led to the victory. But he saw someone and the someone said to him, by the way, when you're talking to me, take your shoes off your feet for the place where you're standing is holy ground. That's Joshua 5. And Nebuchadnezzar saw God, didn't he? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Didn't I throw three into the furnace? But there are four standing, and the fourth is like the Son of God. But there's a difference between a theophany, which is the appearance of God as a man, and the incarnation, which is the actual becoming a man by the Son of God. But he, each time he appeared, it was to meet a need. And when he came, it was to meet a need. You shall call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. So then, let's conclude. Are you going to trust him or not? Do you trust him? Can he be trusted? You know who he is. You know where he came. You know why he came. We know when he came. He came. He lived. He died. He rose. He ascended. He reigns. And he's going to go out again. He will come again. That where he is, we who believe, there we shall be also. There's no hope in eternity without him. There's nothing but hope in eternity with him. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift.